Hello, my magical friends. My name's Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 93rd time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. There is some news, and I've watched a few things, and then we'll get on to today's topic. Friendly reminder again that episode 100 is coming up, and this is a mailbag episode. So we are still taking questions, comments, any thoughts at all to celebrate this achievement. So please send in any and all feedback. Thank you. So let's get to the news. First, there is an upcoming film adaptation of the novel Hakken Anime, or Anime Supremacy, about rivaling animation projects in Japan, one of which being a magical girl series. In real life, this work was all done by Toei Animation, and it looks very cute and interesting. I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie in theaters when it comes out in May. Next, the Latin-Spanish dubbing studio Anime Onigai for Animeka announced just a little while ago that they're going to be dubbing Full Moon Osagashite. Um, There is a different title in Spanish. I'm not going to try to say it because I cannot speak Spanish, so my apologies, but they even announced that they're going to be doing the music in Spanish as well. So this is very exciting. This is quite an old series, so it's a little surprising to hear that there's going to be a dub for it now, but, you know, better late than never, right? (laughs) This should be very interesting, and um, I, for one, definitely enjoy the music very much for this series, so I am really looking forward to hearing how they sound in Spanish. That's all for news, so let's talk about what I've been watching. So, of course, Delicious Party Precure is back, and it was very exciting to see our girls again in action. I'm really, really looking forward to next week when we finally meet Cure Yum Yum. But yeah, overall, I'm just feeling really, really good about this series. So, as for Kinomeki Powers and uh, Ristar, well, Ristar is, I think, still bordering on magical idol type dance show. It looks like we'll be getting our first dance battle next week, so that's interesting there. As for Kinomeki Powers, again, the pacing is a little awkward now that it's been shortened down by half its size, but I'm still excited to see what happens next. And as for Wacha Primaji, things are definitely getting very interesting as they continue into this new arc. I'm really excited for the lessons that we're going to be learning in this uh, season as well, as this story progresses, so... Oh, and finally, in terms of my reading, I finished reading Himitsu no Akko-chan Miu. So this is the most recent iteration of Himitsu no Akko-chan, in comic form, of course, illustrated by the Kamikita twins. And this series was mm, a little iffy and interesting. I would say overall disappointing, but had some good moments and also had some really drastically bad moments. So... I will be talking about it for the bonus episode on Kofi tomorrow, so look out for that. I do apologize for any of you who have been donating to the Kofi page. I do promise there will still be two episodes for this month. It's just the first one is a little late, that's all. So again, my apologies. But um, yeah, that's all. So let's get on to today's topic.
so we finally have gotten to the point where I have watched at least a little of every season of Precure. I think back in the beginning of the podcast, I had still like not watched at all a lot of seasons, but I have now at least watched a little bit of every season and I'm going back to catch up. <laughs> but today we're going to be talking about one of the most popular seasons, Fresh Precure. And I'm really, really excited about this one. I'm also very excited about the guest that we got for this one. Reza is an artist who is very, very prolific in the Precure community online. He is a really, really cool guy. It was very fun to talk to. And just generally, this was a really, really fun season to get into. And I do deeply wish I had ended up watching this season, you know, when it aired or like you know, before the other seasons and stuff. But obviously everyone has a different journey through Precure and through Magical Girls. So that's that. But yeah, I do think that, you know, if you have not watched Precure generally, that it's probably best to watch Fresh Precure before you watch at least seasons up to and including Go Princess. Hmm, I would say at least that. But yeah, before we get into the topic, I do want to give some warnings. In particular, this series does discuss self-harm and death, so I just wanted to make sure that you're aware of that before going into this topic if you have not watched the series yet. Those are all like spoiler point level things, so uh, you can definitely stop listening at that point and not get any of that info and then go into the series. But just if you are watching for the first time as well, keep that in mind. But yeah, that's everything I have to say up top. So let's get into today's chat with Reza about Fresh Precure. We are here today to talk about Fresh Pretty Cure, the sixth season of the Precure franchise from 2009, and I'm very excited to bring in our guest for today. Can you please introduce yourself? Hello, listeners. My name is Reza Malana98. Uh, you mostly know me from the social media as the fan art creator of many Precure fan arts, and I am also a writer with a Nestor Welling Euro series website known as World of Euro Nazca. Great. And uh, what are your pronouns? Uh, my pronoun is he, although you can also call me as a them or they. I'm fine with that. Yeah, great. So, Reza, can you please tell us your history with Magical Girls? Okay, so in terms of Magical Girls, the first interaction with them that I still remember in my memory is around 2008, when I stumbled across Futariwa Pretty Cure Max Heart on TV as I was randomly strolling the TV channels waiting for my PlayStation 2 game to load. Uh, sadly, <laughs> I can't remember which specific episode that I watched because the scene that I remember is the Luminario, the finisher. And that happens in many episodes, so I can't mm. pinpoint which episode that was, but that was my first experience of watching Magical Girl shows. Mm -hmm. Even though I was introduced to Precure at that point, I didn't get myself particularly interested in them just yet. That's only happened from around 2011 to 2013. I can't remember the exact year, I just remember the approximate time frame because that was the time where I found Wings Club Season 4 
on TV, also through randomly strolling the channels. Although this time around, I started to grow a liking towards my digital jerseys because that turns out I like Wings Club Season 4, and so I began to secretly start browsing information on shows such as Wings, Sailor Moon, there's also Witch that I've also did some discovery on, and eventually found my way to Brickia, although I didn't really get the opportunity to watch them until 2016 because Brickyard isn't really at here, so I have to watch them through unconventional means, so to speak. <laughs> and mm. I can't do that until around 2016 because that's when I got my first fast internet speed provider that allowed me to watch Brickyard and other shows through quote-unquote unconventional means. <laughs> Great. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, where are you based? I'm based in Indonesia. So you said that you started, well, you had seen Futariwa Precure Max Heart on TV. So was there an English dub aired in Indonesia? Not that I'm aware of. I'm pretty sure it is an Indonesian dub though, because most mm. animes that do ended up getting on Indonesian TV, local TV channels, got an Indonesian dub. Hmm. So, you know, you said about 2016, you started to actually get back to watching Precure and other shows. So All right. that's, I mean, that's pretty, I guess, relatively recently in the scope of Precure and of Magical Girls. It is. Yeah. So did you watch the seasons in order? No, no. I first started watching Fresh. Because, oh, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> I actually watched multiple seasons snippets first, but the first that I fully watch is Fresh because... It was the season that gave me the biggest amount of interest out of the others that I've seen, and mm. that's how I'm loving it. Yeah. And so I watched other seasons, uh, a bit unchronologically, but yeah, I eventually got myself around to watch them all, although it was only around 2018 when I, with Huckle, that I started to watch it on a weekly basis. Ah, uh, that makes sense, yeah. Following what, yeah, for what's at in Japan and such. Mm-hmm. Great. So what are some other favorite Precure seasons other than Fresh? There's Tropical Rouge, the most recent one, which, if I'm honest, it has assert Fresh as the, my number one season. South Twinkle is also a very good one to my liking. As does Doki Doki Precure, which I guess it will be a bit controversial because of Doki Doki's generally mixed reception with the fan base. But I absolutely love it. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I think every season has like people who love it and people who don't love it, and that's fine, you know. True. Yeah. Yeah. yeah people <laughs> are inclined to their own opinion, so that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So, what is it about Fresh that you love so much? Ooh. Now, I don't know. Like, this is a bit hard to say, but I don't normally judge things from you know the usual. How do I say it? Usual way people rate things, so animation quality, voice acting quality, plot and such. I don't really care much about it, but Fresh is very fun to watch, and it keeps me in the whole way through. So that's already two big plus points, but I guess one thing that I do like from Fresh the most is the interactions between the characters, because the main cast has some great interactions between each other, the villains also get a chance to shine with their own things. And the setting, Clover Down Street, is a very well-expanded well, well expanded and 
well flesh setting with lots of stories to tell from the people that live there. Mm-hmm. The interactions and the vibes that fresh gave to me is something I love a lot, and I guess being the first season that I watch helps. <laughs> but uh, apart from Tropical Rouge, the vibe that I got from Fresh has been pretty hard to rep to be top one. Yeah, it's so uh, it's really really interesting to think about Fresh not just as its own season, but also in comparison to the other seasons. Of course, it was the sixth season, so it's quite early on in the franchise. Relatively early on. Yes, maybe. yes. And a lot of the things that have become recurring parts of uh, what we would expect in any season really start in Fresh Precure. True. Yeah, so it's really, really fun to see, you know, what's going to happen. I feel bad that, like, I only watched this for the first time this year because... That's fine. <laughs> so, like, my, my own history with Precure is such that, like, you know, by the time this had come out, I was in college and really busy uh... because I was going to school full time and working. So I didn't really have a lot of time to watch TV, especially not TV that's airing elsewhere. You know, if it was on TV, like where I lived, it was fine. But, you know, it was, it was a little different. Uh, but, yeah. you know, being a Magical Girl fan, I always tried to keep up to date with like what shows were airing and what was going on so like you know when the mid-season stuff happened I was aware of it and it was very exciting and I watched all the transformation sequences and you know I always felt like very intrigued by the designs even now the series design wise does stand out compared to other seasons it certainly stands out yeah (laughs) so it's like really interesting to to think about it um I don't know what it was about the season that like when it was starting, I remember feeling like it was so different from everything that had been before, especially because this is the first season that really also branched out, not just in terms of the style of character design, which we'll get into, but just like the overall animation style is different for the first time this season. That is true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It does feel very different from the season that preceded it. Yeah. So I remember feeling at the time like this is not what I expected from Precure, but of course it was a very big hit, not just like with international fans, but also with kids. So it was a really booming success, which is really important. And I guess mm-hmm. since we're talking about it already, Uh, The main thing that really changed with the design is that this is still the only season where the girls look significantly older. True. Yeah. So there's a translated interview with uh, Hisashi Kagawa, who was the character designer for the season. And he had worked on Sailor Moon before this. And in this interview, which I will link to in the show notes... They asked him about like the designs and, and about Precure in general, saying how it seems to be more like Dragon Ball than Sailor Moon, which is like extremely accurate because of how it, Precure started. But um, what he said, and uh, let me just quote here, the style of Precure started as girls fighting like Dragon Ball characters, and this continued throughout Fresh Precure. But it also added new elements reminiscing from Sailor Moon, such as the staff used to purify enemies. I think that I was offered the position because I used to animate on Sailor Moon. The idea was to increase the heads tall proportions compared to previous Precure so that the children of the target age would feel as the characters were their older sisters. Oh. And then he said, I like the comical part of the beginnings of Sailor Moon. So even though the character's headcount is high, so like uh, he's referring to how in character designs, we think of people as being how many heads tall. It's a very common thing, at least in Japanese animation. Oh. 
Yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. part of an art thing too. The, the note. <laughs> and uh, he said it made it a shape ideal to add a wide range of expressive gag faces and simplified drawings. So the style was definitely more reminiscent. Like they're much taller. And, you know, they have very, like, relatively short skirts, so they have, like, very long legs and stuff. So, again, definitely giving that idea that these girls are older sister type of heroes. But, you know, age-wise, they're generally the same age as most Precure heroes, just in the design. They're now typically a lot more cute, unless they're, like, a high school student. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then the other thing about this series in particular that comes up a lot, and I think even I had mentioned it, without really quite knowing exactly what it meant, was there's this kind of notion that Fresh Precure saved the Precure franchise from being cancelled, which is true, but not in the way that most people think of it as being. Yeah. Yeah. That is... (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. there is some truth of it, but it's not really on the financial sense of things, because in terms of merch sales, from what I I know, uh, the preceding season, yes, Precure 5 Kyoko, still sold very well in terms of merchandise. Mm-hmm. If anything, they, they sold better than the original Yes 5, so in terms of financial side of things, it didn't really make sense to think that Fresh safe Precure, although like you said, there is some of the parts that do make the feeling that Fresh safe Precure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just for like more, I guess, uh, context for especially this particular time slot. So, you know, before Precure was airing, so this is, you know, six seasons, they were making this kind of final season with fresh Precure. They weren't sure yet. But uh, before Precure, we had one season of Ashano Nadia, which is a now kind of really like popular series, but at the time was a big failure. It was kind of like a a modern kind of candy candy type of series with a foreign character and everything. I haven't watched it, so I can't personally comment on it, though. I do want to I watch it. I also haven't watched it either. Can't comment it either. Yeah, but everyone I know who has watched it loves it, but it just didn't work well at the time. And, you know, before that, they were airing in that same time slot on the same channel, Ojamajo Doremi, which the way that Doremi finished was very much like it made sense for that series because of just the way the story was going, like it was kind of the perfect little way to end things off. Yeah. Of course, it ended up being so popular that we do have sequels in the form of novels now, but... Um, and the new movie that just came out last year or 2020, was it? It was in 2020, yeah. Ah, okay. So that particular franchise is still living on, but as far as that time slot goes, like that first story, yeah. it finishes there. It had a very sensible thing with the characters growing up to a certain point and so their story was finished so it made sense that like they were thinking about possibly finishing Precure and then starting a completely new franchise but Fresh Precure was just so popular that they're like oh well we gotta keep this going (laughs) so that's how it saved Precure it's great um because now we have (laughs) so many seasons yeah yeah with many enjoyable moments for us to all watch. Yeah. So getting into the the main story. So as you mentioned, this particular story is set in Yotsubamachi, which has a clover town street. So Yotsubamachi just means clover town. So that's fine. Clover yeah. <laughs> Very literally. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forgot the town itself is called clover town, not clover town street, because that's the main clover town. But that's just, <laughs> that's the setting that I remember the most. Yeah, that's fair. 
And we have two other worlds that we see most, which is the Kingdom of Sweets, which is where our fairies come from. And then we also have mm -hmm. Labyrinth, which is where the villains come from. And mm -hmm. yeah, as you mentioned, like we have really, really uh, active villains that we see throughout the series from the very beginning. So, and they have directions as well as a theme, which is very interesting. But from the very start, we meet East, Westa, and Sowler, which are, you know, three of the directions, right? East, West, and South. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, they are named after directions. <laughs> yes, yes. Very simple naming conventions, which is fun. And we see that they're kind of in this uh, mysterious mansion, very reminiscent of a uh, Precure and Max Hart. We, the, the villains are living in a mansion in that season as well. Oh, true. Yeah, mm -hmm. it does remind me of the mansion from the original season second half and Max Hart. Yes, yes. With the vibe of the mansion. Do you think, yes, Precure 5 Goku also had a mansion of some kind for the villains? Ah, uh, yeah, kind of. For yes, it's a little different just because it's like a, well, at least in the second season, it's more like a museum kind of thing going on. So it's ah, a museum, little, okay. So yeah. not a house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's a fair point. Yeah, like, the architecture is similar. Yeah. That's why I suddenly had a thought of, wait a second. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They didn't just survive Google's at that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's but similar yeah, enough. They do yeah. live in a very <laughs> grandiose mansion. Yes, yes. And so their monsters at the start are Nakewa Meike and... We start with like a theme of dancing as well, which is like really big in the mm -hmm. series. So uh, there's yeah. a local idol group called Trinity that is a set of three with Miyuki in the center. And we have Love going to go see Trinity perform. And that is when she becomes Cure Peach for the first time. Peach. Yes. Yeah, it was at that very Trinity performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then over the next few episodes, we also have Miki joining as Cure Berry and Inori Yamabuki or Buki becoming Cure Pine. Or, well, Pine is uh, short for pineapple, but Cure Pine. <laughs> yeah, it's shortened because, yeah, if Buki's Cure form was not Cure Pineapple, that's going to be very long. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's going to be a bit hard to remember than just, oh, Pine. Yeah. Well, in Japanese, it's very, very common to say pine when you mean pineapple. So, like, that's kind of the main reason why, I think. Ah, yeah, yeah. I so, see. That explains it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very clear, I think, to the audience, the main audience of, of Japanese children. But I have seen, over the course of many years, many people realizing for the first time that her name means pineapple, not pine like a pine tree or, or pine, pine tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh god. Oh, god, imagine if pine is, is actually based on a pine tree and she was green instead of yellow. That'll be, be interesting. interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. We do need more green cures after all. Yeah. Yeah. Although white deserves more mm -hmm. for now, I'd say. Sure, sure. But yeah, so we have these three fighting and first they have final attacks that don't require a weapon. Correct. And I really love that in this season, their kind of attack names are based on their civilian names rather than like their cure names, if that makes sense. Wait, is it? Mm-hmm. What's their official names, Jen? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I forgot the original official names. Like, I knew they were activated with just their own cells and not require any sort of device like what you have said. But I forgot the name and I forgot if there's a connection with our civilian names or not. Yes, so 
for uh, Cure Peach, it's Love Sunshine. And her name is Love, of course. And then for Miki, it's Espoir Shower. Correct. Yes. And Espoir means hope in French. And Miki's name is Beautiful Hope uh, in Kanji. Oh, mm-hmm. ah, that explains it. Yes, yes. And then for Buki, her given name is Inori, which means prayer. And her attack is healing prayer. So... That's why they're uh, all connected. <laughs> okay, now I can now I understand why they are connected to their civilian names. I see, I see. Yes, yes. That's very clever. Mm-hmm. I didn't really thought of that. Even <laughs> though I'm such a big fresh fan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At first, they just use their own, just their own power to attack. But over time, they also have like kind of the first little arc in terms of their powers is them each getting the cure stick which are used differently by each character in order to do their attack which later becomes love sunshine fresh espoir shower fresh and healing prayer fresh so that's the one that i remember i forgot that their original one is just the same name without the word fresh yes yes (laughs) yes but yeah so you know they also have these three villains you know east wester and sowler like i mentioned who are correct you know, constantly kind of just around town in human form. And then they do something called switch over and they become their labyrinth form and attack and all of that. But in particular, East spends a lot of time in her form known as uh, Setsuna Higashi. And she actually goes through trying to become friends with love in love particular. Love in particular, yeah. Yeah. And so over time, she keeps trying to like grow their friendship and, and so on. But... Before we move on, I know we want to talk about some specific episodes in the first half of the season. Correct. Yes. <laughs> so why don't we talk about the wig episode first? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, that episode is great to watch. Like, it's the perfect blend of, I don't know, chaos and surprisingly well animated episode. It's <laughs> also one thing that I do love about episode 12 is the fact that a couple of the weeks references past seasons too, so it does make for some nice nostalgia touch towards the history of the Precure franchise. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So it's really funny because even before I started watching Fresh, I kept hearing reference to this legendary wig episode. And I was like, what could this possibly mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I didn't even know what episode it was until it started. And I was like, wait a second. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. It, it Back when I was watching it, I didn't really know if there's such term of legendary wig episode so when i first started watching fresh i came to episode 12 and i was like what is going on here (laughs) this is so chaotic but at the same time it's amazing and funny to watch yes yes and it was only after that that i started realize oh so this is what they meant about this legendary wig episode Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah it's a very great episode to watch yeah so we see like a lot of things going on in terms of interactions between, you know, um, Love and Mickey and Buki's parents in general, because they're all childhood friends. They all go to different schools now, but they were friends in childhood. So that kind of already bonds them together right away um, at the start of the yeah. series. But in this particular episode, it's all about this whole thing with Love's father and Buki's father about making wigs to help animals 
that are I'm trying to remember the exact reason, but it was it was I mean, it's very silly and convoluted. Yeah. It's a kid's show, but like the whole idea of like trying to create a wig that would help uh, animals to calm down if they need because Buki's uh, father and mother are both veterinarians and so Correct. they spend a lot of time taking care of all sorts of animals throughout the yeah. series. Throughout the, throughout the season actually. Yes, yes. Yeah. In general the kind of theme of Labyrinth is always to like take away the happiness of people and uh, other people. Yeah. And so in this particular episode Wester is the main villain and I love Wester because he is such a bumbling idiot. It's just so fun Same. to see him <laughs> in action. Same. I also love Wester a lot because he was such an idiot. Yeah. But what a lovable idiot he is. Yes. All yes. of his antics is just a recipe for many funny moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he gets the bright idea that like, oh, you know, this wig is clearly supposed to make animals happy or make people happy. So I'm going to use this wig to like you know remove the happiness of others and and so doing creates this monster that gives people wigs and it just turns into this ridiculous comedy of errors where like of course people getting these wigs it's just hilarious so everyone can't stop laughing so it's just completely working in reverse and yeah it's very funny <laughs> just yeah uh, yeah and one thing, speaking of the weights, it shows to the point where even the girls transform with the weights still on their head. Mm-hmm. That's 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 funny to watch. I do wish that the hair as a cure form also gets weights or so just to make it even more hilarious. But it's already hilarious enough as it is. Yes, yes. So it's just absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, so. It becomes this thing where they're literally fighting a giant wig, and it's just all very silly. But it, in terms of funny Precure episodes, not just for Fresh Precure, but for Precure in general, yeah, this is a really, really great episode for just, like, it's very silly, but it is just very fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another episode that's really worth talking about at the beginning here is episode 18. I know you want to talk about right. that one. So this I one, I heard rumors that this is based on an actual story, but I couldn't find evidence of that. So I'm just going to leave that rumor there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this is an episode where in the Precures, uh, in their civilian form, meet a girl who loves Precure and she really wants to meet them before she goes in for a really scary surgery. You know, which is like very important for her to survive, but she is just so terrified she doesn't want to go so through terrifying. with it because yeah. surgery is scary. Like even if you're surgery an adult, is scary, yeah. <laughs> it's even for adults, uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Let alone it for kids, because you know, having to have a surgery at such young age is is nerve wracking, really. Mm-hmm. You know, so she is trying to. Uh, she really wants to meet. Precure, of course, and they want to give her that by going to see her before the surgery starts, but they're interrupted by a villain. So, of course, they have to fight first. Yeah. But it's this really beautiful thing where, you know, she gets to see on the TV that, oh, Precure are fighting right now. And you have all of these kids in front of the TV all like cheering them on, which is, of course, very much how 
kids are in real life watching Precure. Yeah. Yeah. True. So it's a very lovely, very lovely episode. It's a very episode. lovely episode indeed. Mm-hmm. What heartwarming episode that one. Yes, yes. So um, before we continue, I do want to kind of mention some other important characters. So as we mentioned, there's the idol group Trinity, and in particular Miyuki being the kind of center of that group. She, as a thank you to Love for helping her out, ends up giving her dance lessons, which turns into her giving dance lessons to Love and Miki and Puki. So, even though know. Puki as well, yeah, yeah. Even yeah. though Puki was at first pretty reluctant at the idea of joining yes. the dance group because of some confidence issues, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole thing about you know getting the three of them to join, and all of that. Uh, Miki doesn't have that problem because, as her catchphrase says, she is perfect, so it's no problem. <laughs> no problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so she ends up, you know, like being this great kind of uh, guardian for them in a way and, and a coach for their dance group. Correct. Yeah. Coach, yeah. Personal mentor and such. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Over time, they realize that she's actually the older sister of Daisuke, who goes to loves school and is one of her classmates who fights with her a lot and we'll probably talk about him later yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) she's a really great like role model and she stands out a lot even with the other members of trinity because of her pink hair and her constant wearing of red and she's one of the first characters to learn about them being precure even before anyone else knows yeah because it ends up getting in the way of the rest of their their dancing life yeah, their daily activities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The episode where Miyuki learns it is is still one of my favorite episodes too because you know it's just so nice to see you know the girls and Miyuki reach the, the point of understanding of we are trying to do dance lessons with you, but at the same time we have this little problem known <laughs> as saving the world. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then we also have another recurring character who's very fun and mysterious, who is Kaoru, or Kaoru-chan. Oh, the yeah. donut man. Donut man, yes. What a lot. Yes. <laughs> so he is really funny because, like, he he's the kind of beginning of introducing, well, in this season especially, we have donuts as a motif, but that also comes in to play in later seasons. Yes, but it's, yeah, it's where... <laughs> The franchise starts that love for donuts. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is a good thing. More donuts is good. Sure, sure. <laughs> so he's like this guy who's kind of mysterious. Like every time that he says that, like something about his past, it's always completely different. Or he like tells three different stories, so no one knows the truth about him. And yeah. <laughs> you know, he's very funny because like the only other character we've had similar to him in the past is um, Akane from Futaruwa Precure who runs the takoyaki shop but she never knew about Precure and Kaoru seems to possibly know something yeah he, yeah. he always <laughs> hints on something that people shouldn't know but he seemingly knows yes yes even like at one point there's an episode where he like drives Miki to go fight as Precure, doesn't ever question why she needs to go over there and like is driving like he was a professional racer. It's very funny. Oh yeah. <laughs> he hits all the apexes, getting the acceleration right and such. And didn't spawn out. Yeah. So that's good. Because if you spawn out a public that's you're going to be 
screwed in more ways than one. Because, <laughs> you know, there's no roll cages and such. Yes, yes. So all around, he's a very funny guy. And he also is one of the few characters that knows about Tart, the main talking fairy of the season, who is a ferret. Or he's not really a ferret, but that's that he looks like a ferret in any case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Kaudu and Tart actually have a contract together so that Tart can get unlimited free donuts. <laughs> yeah. Which is a really good deal for a for a fairy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So it's a very fun thing where they just like constantly have donuts. Like by the end, there's like scenes where he's like just pulling out so many donuts from nowhere, like I don't know how Tart <laughs> can hold all these donuts uh, on his person, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. He knows hammer space. Don't worry about it. He knows hammer space. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so there's some other major characters. And, of course, our fairies. Tart is the main fairy who can talk. He uh, he looks like a ferret. Um, he also reminds me in design a lot of Kettle from Card Captors, which... Oh, true, true. Yeah, yeah. it does remind me of... Mm. Kettle? Was yeah, Kettle. Right. Okay. And the main the main thing, like aside from his, you know, the the shape of his head, the other thing that really reminds me of of Kido is that they both have the same dialect of Japanese. Oh yeah, they do yeah. have the same dialect. So Tart uses, you know, Kansai dialect of Japanese for some reason, and we later learn that this is like the norm for Sweet the Sweet's Kingdom, which is very funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And something else that I noticed about him that was interesting is that he refers to all the characters by their cure names, even in their civilian forms, which I don't think happens in any other pre-cure season. Yeah, I don't really remember other cures getting referred by their cure name as often as Tata did. Yeah, so he always calls them like Pichihan and Berihan and so on, even if they're civilians. So it's like... (laughs) I mean, that's a really easy way to just spill the truth, I guess, but sure. Spill the beans, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing Tarta didn't speak a lot. Because yeah. if he does, then the girls will have a bit of a trouble on their hands. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, of course, uh, Shifon is our kind of baby of the season. Mm-hmm. They're this very cute little, very fluffy, white, pastel kind of panda-like fairy who doesn't talk much, but is not the kind of like character that only says its name or something like that. So yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Shivon's very cute and has uh, telekinetic powers. <laughs> so yep. that causes some trouble sometimes because Shivon is a baby. Troubles. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a baby. Babies are often causing problems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Shivon's a cute one though. Yeah, so just to kind of move along with the kind of main plot and stuff, one thing that's very interesting about this season is it's the first season with a mid-season cure character. And Correct. even now, I feel like the way that they introduce the cure character is very unique. Like, they, they haven't completely repeated it the same way uh, in terms of, like, yeah. marketing and storyline and so on, I think. Like, from the very beginning, even in the logo for the season, we can see that there are four colors and like four hearts creating a clover so we see that there is you know there's pink there's yellow there's blue and then there's red so that kind of hints us that like maybe there's going to be a red cure along the lines uh, in the future and as well there are four keys so the way that the characters all transform which also their transformation sequences are very uh, special in this season for sure yeah 
which we can talk about. But the way they transform is they use these kind of heart-shaped keys to open up their little devices, which are made from their phones. <laughs> and yeah. we know for a fact that there are four of them. So uh, around, I want to say about a third of the way through the series, we start to see Akarun, the fourth red key, trying to like find the last cure. So we know there's going to be yeah. another one at some point. We don't know when. And so that's kind of part of the excitement of things. And, mm -mm. you know, at the same time, we see an escalation of the relationship with Miyuki. And then also we see an escalation with the villain of East, who wants to do anything she can for Mobius, which is the main villain of the season, in order to, like, you know, be in his good graces and stuff. So, yeah, gain his respect. Yes, yes. So he gives her this kind of new item, a new, like, monster to create called the Naki Sakepe. Naki Sakepe, correct. Yeah, which is like, it's interesting. So she gets this little kind of like triangle with four different triangles in it with different eyes. So she can use one. But every time she uses one, like, of course, the monsters are much stronger. stronger. But it also injures herself. Yes. Yes. It causes a lot of pain to her directly. And she gets wrapped up in these thorns and it looks very clearly painful and it's very like yeah. it's very hard to watch this season gets pretty dark all things considered uh it's... yeah especially later on yeah it's yeah. someone else that we haven't discussed yet yes <laughs> yeah so you know before we continue i would like to give our little spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't watched the season yet mm -hmm. in general it's really great so definitely I think anyone would enjoy watching it. It's definitely recommended to watch. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's why we're here, because we love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, True. but we need to, yeah, definitely talk about our mid-season cure and uh, the way things play out. So I did talk to a few people who were watching this season as it At was airing. At the time airing. of it's Yeah, yeah. Ah. And they kind of confirmed what I thought. It's really hard to find, like, online stuff about this season because it was from so long ago. Yeah, and most links from then are already dead if, yes. if it's not archived at Internet Archives. Yes, Which yes. is a bit of a shame, but it's how it goes on the Internet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And archiving isn't really <laughs> that popular just yet at the time, so I yes. can't really blame them. So it's very interesting because, like, I actually even found one place that's got a lot of conversation about Precure, especially, like considering possible things about the future of Precure is uh, Yahoo Answers, um, because... Oh, oh yeah, Yahoo was big at the time. Oh, people in Japan still use Yahoo a lot now, so it's still, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just here, Yahoo is like, what's a Yahoo? Exactly. If you ask most Zoomers these days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, so even now I could still find some stuff from the time. And in particular, I saw this really funny, like now very interesting post about someone saying, hey, I know people are saying that Miyuki is going to be the fourth cure, but what if it's Is? And <laughs> it's very... Oh, someone guessed it. Yeah. <laughs> That's... <laughs> well, I know that there were, of course, leaks and stuff. So like people had yeah, seen leaks. the cure. As being a part of the... Break a franchise even to this day, so... I mean, it's... Yeah. That's just, like, a part of, like, fiction in general. Leaks happen, Yeah, but... yeah, oh, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> but even so, like, even if you could see the mid-season cure, who we now know is Cure Passion, you know, she has pink hair and she wears red, so a lot of people still thought it for sure it would be Miyuki because, like, 
Miyuki has pink hair. Pink hair, and she does wear a mostly red yes. garments on her outfit daily outfit i have read that she was designed intentionally for people to think she was going to be the mid-season cure <laughs> but yeah yeah so is both working more with love to build up their friendship and she's also working really hard to you know again create these monsters in the end they keep getting defeated anyway but you know by the time she uses the last one she's clearly in so much pain and I really love this because the way that they kind of play things out first is um, them trying to approach Miyuki and asking her, like literally asking her to please become the next Precure because we know that there's going to oh, be yeah, one more. That. And she was like, I really appreciate that you guys are asking me this. But I can't do that. Like, no, I'm too busy. I can't. It's not a responsibility I can take on. And, you know, it's a very interesting series of things. Interesting set of events. Yeah. Too. And we also see that, like, Love has really considered Setsuna her friend already. Like, they're clearly very close. I mean, the audience knows that Is is Setsuna from the beginning. Yeah. They make that very clear. And then they also have a lot of fun with, like, different scenes where Setsuna's in darkness and, and so on. Like, there are a lot of hints for the girls, but they don't figure it out. Miki does figure it out near the end before Is uh, uses her last of the Nakisakebe. And that is also when Love, as Cure Peach, does try to save Is, seeing that she is in pain from this attack. Yeah, she did. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting because it could have been something where like she realizes that Is is Setsuna and then tries to help her or something like that. But yeah, she approaches her and reaches out to her as she is still Is. And of course, East knows that love is Kirby Janela, but yeah. <laughs> it's such a touching scene because East is in so much pain and love is helping her to realize that like she doesn't want any of this. And I think what's very interesting is that, you know, happiness is a major part of the theme of the season. You know, it is part of love's catchphrase. It's part of the, the opening theme song. And yep. Setsuna's name while it doesn't have uh, kanji to associate with it, it does sound very close to setsunai, which is a you know adjective to describe being in great pain and sadness. So like her name suggests oh, yeah, she is sad. Yeah. Yeah. Deep inside, she is not doing mm. well. Yeah, and you know it takes a little bit for East to finally, like she reveals herself to be setsuna to like kind of break love's heart and all of that but yeah yeah the way that she ends up becoming cure passion is very interesting but yeah i don't know if you also want to talk about it <laughs> uh, yeah yeah that's that's particular story of course it was amazing to was like yeah I... I think part of the the way that the pacing works in this season is very interesting because they got a full 50 episodes this year which was you know it's rare for pre-care even now it yeah. doesn't usually get to be 50 they do end full 50 with yeah. very minor, minimal breaks. Yeah, we get hints about there being a fourth cure pretty early on, and we spend a few different episodes going through, like trying to figure out who it's going to be and, and all of that. Yeah. And then we get a few episodes of East now realizing she wants to be good, realizing that she has the possibility of becoming a pre cure and she becomes cure passion. And even after she becomes Cure Passion, it takes a few episodes for her to like actually um convince yourself that she deserves of getting yeah. the role of Cure Passion. Yes, yes. Which is yeah, it's yeah that that's amazing to see, especially 
you know, the f- the first episode after she become passion for the first time in episode twenty four, it's it messes my heart a lot when I was watching it to mm. see, you know, how she doesn't really want to become passion at first. How she wants to be just left alone, seeing that okay, I'm passion now, but I used to battle them. Am I really deserving this mm. type of thing? But then there's love uh, who comes to her and give her. A very expensive meal, I'd say, <laughs> on a very fancy restaurant, and you know, seeing Love and her parents be happy, you know, gave Setsuna the vibe that, you know, happiness is what people deserve. And so, when when started actually, you know, seeing Love struggling to fight the monster, uh, gave Setsuna the the will to f- accept her role as her passion. Yeah. And it's it's nice to see. Yeah, so it's really nice because we've had, you know, thinking in terms of like the history of Precure up to this point, we had had other villains who became good, but this was the first time a villain was becoming a cure. So like it, it's a bit different yeah. and it's, you know, it's pretty a exciting. Deal. Yeah. And yeah, I just love that like, you know, she was having a very real struggle of like, you know, the trauma of like thinking about her life in Labyrinth compared to the life she's got on Earth now and you know, trying to deal with the fact that she could be possibly worthy of love after all of this. It's really nice. And, you know, love's family does kind of adopt her, not literally, but like in figuratively. As an, yeah, yeah. honorary family member. Yes, yes. Um, and it's just very, it's very sweet, for sure. Oh, yeah. Speaking of that, accepting, there's also the very next episode after the episode that we just thought. There's also part where Setsuna tries to deal with her own inner demons. Yes. Because even though she has accepted her role as passion, there is also her inner demons still lingering within her. And, you know, I can't really blame her. She just did all of the stuff as is. And, you know, it must be a shock for herself still to mm-hmm. be at her new role as passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that was Saular at that point who had actually decided to yeah it was literally weaponize her shadow yeah yeah it was pretty intense again it's interesting because i've talked about this before but my very favorite precure is the mid-season from go princess who is also a villain turned cure and oh. so i was definitely doing a lot of like comparisons and it is different but i do think that there is something really special about you know setsuna being able to like really deal with like you said her own demons, her demons. yeah mm. yes yeah, and you know the part where you said you know the, your favorite being a mid-season. Uh, in your case, it's Go Princess. <laughs> you know it used to be the same with me because Passion was my number one cure for the longest time before Cure Papaya blew my <laughs> mind up with <laughs> it's Yeah, but for a long time, Setsuna was my number one cure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fortunately, she's now number two. But you know mm-hmm. the memories of her being my number one. Hmm. will forever be in my mind well why is she your favorite at least in the conversation of this season uh, the story itself is amazing I we mentioned about how there's other villains that have turned to cures in future seasons but the way they wrote Setsuna's art it's still unmatched really like it, the art was amazing to watch especially you know Fresh was my first season also it gave me, I guess, a very, very solid impression that it's still, you know, hard to match for 
the future fill into cure characters. There's also her design as cure passion, which is very top tier, very very beautiful, very gorgeous. It's one of my personal favorite magical girl designs of all time. Hmm. And there's also the interactions with the main cast members, you know, especially with Love, you know, trying to build their friendship, the struggles that they've had to encounter during the mid-season arc, trying to, you know, how do I phrase this? Oh, trying to know more of Buki and Miki as well. Hmm, yeah. It's just... It just brings a lot of good memories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's... Yeah, it's she's special in that regard. Yeah, why don't we actually talk about that? Because, like, of course, the main friendship throughout the season is between Love and Setsuna. But Setsuna does have uh, one-off episodes where she gets to uh, strengthen her bonds with both Miki and Bukizo. Correct. Yeah. The first one being is episode 26. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 26. episode after the Inner Demon's Shadow one. Yes. So that's when she realizes she wants to join Clover, which is the name of the dance group that the girls are in. Mm. And she feels really guilty about it and all of that. And she doesn't know if she really feels like she can belong with these girls who have been, no pun intended, in sync together for a while now. <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be tough when you are inexperienced and you want to join your best mates group mm. while being experienced so yeah it's it can be tough yeah but yeah they are able to show that they want her there and in particular you know Buki who sews the clothes for the group is Setsuna sees that she actually has sewn her an outfit which is you know that's a lot of work so clearly she did it because yeah. she wants her to be in the group also so that's really great yeah. Yeah, and it. Uh, I think another part that helps is I think I mentioned this earlier, but Buki had her own personal doubts of her joining the group at first. So mm-hmm. I guess in some way Buki can see that Setsuna struggles on joining the group with the way she used to struggle, accepting to be part of Clover. Mm-hmm. So that's why Buki decided to approach Setsuna and help her to do the dances, being sing with herself and eventually strengthens the bond of not just between Setsuna and Buki but also with the Cures and Miyuki as well. Hmm. Yeah so like it's really nice to see that connection made there and then likewise for uh, Miki who as I mentioned she is you know perfect <laughs> except for yeah. one thing that she is afraid of and you know this makes sense and I think this is good because I don't think it's bad to have like a character who says she's perfect like you know Miki's a model she has very high standards for herself that's fine Mm -hmm. that's fine I think there's something really nice about having a role model who says that about herself because like to have that self-confidence for little kids you know yeah yeah Um, having that character that have such confidence in herself you know it's very nice because Sadly, many of us here in the real world does have often battles with uh, confidence, you know. Mickey's, you know, high confidence level does make for some good inspiration for not just the kids, but many adults as well. Yes, yes. So we do find out, finally, in episode 33, that Mickey does have an imperfection. She is deathly afraid of octopuses, 
yes yes and you know it does lead to a lot of really fun things like mickey despite being the perfect one has a lot of very fun memeable faces throughout the season yeah <laughs> true yeah yeah the one that i remember is back early on in the season with sifon being a kid you know messed up with telekinetic powers and one of the best meme shots of mickey is when sifon telekinesis a box of tissues, and one of the tissues land on Mickey's face, creating <laughs> a, a face where she's like just snorting herself out, <laughs> uh, blowing herself on the nose. Like, mm-hmm. oh my god, <laughs> it was so funny to watch them, and it still is funny to watch on uh, future watches of that episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so Mickey is, it turns out, not as perfect as we might expect, but she cannot get over her fear, and in talking about this and ended up like revealing this to Setsuna because through a series of events they end up out alone together for the yeah. first time and mm-hmm. you know Setsuna reveals that she has a fear too and her fear is like she doesn't want to lose the three of them you know Miki or Miki or Love yeah she did yeah <laughs> so Wester is the one that like has the monster of the week and he creates an octopus because he eats takoyaki and it's so delicious that he's like, yeah. no one else can have he this. He eats a lot of it in like seconds. Yes. <laughs> like, how did he even have the stomach that big? <laughs> I mean, I could do it too. I but... mean, he was so hungry all episode long. Yes, yes. I will admit that. <laughs> and, you know, it does lead to some funny moment with Solar also earlier in that episode too. Yes, yes. So he is very hungry, but also like, you know, takoyaki is amazing. So I would probably do the same, except, you know, he doesn't pay for the takoyaki. He just like, sees it and just starts eating a whole bunch and the takoyaki guy is like hey what are you doing but he makes this octopus into a monster before anything else can happen because he doesn't want anyone else to enjoy the happiness of takoyaki yeah even though it's just he just had happiness with himself yes yes he wants it all to himself which is like a Uh, mood but yeah not good weird mood yes but (laughs) makes sense from a villain's perspective yeah, and of course, you know, Miki has trouble with transforming and, you know, Setsuna sees this and is like, that's okay, I will fight myself, don't worry about it. You know, she's being a really good friend in that moment. But in the end, Miki has to transform into Kirberry to fight also and yeah. the others join too and it's all good. But yeah, it's a really nice episode for that, like, kind of bonding between the two of them also. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's actually also at the end of this episode that... They finally learn about the identity of Infinity, who is known like to be this thing that Labyrinth is after, because once they get Infinity, they're able to, with this infinite power, be able to uh, just take over not just their world, not just Earth, but every world. Wasn't it the next episode, not not that October's episode? I, I remember it was the next episode, not 34, not 33, from what I remember. I think because it was like the very end of an episode. So I do. Ah. But, you know, I think it is the end of 34. You might be right. Yeah. I see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. So. Memories can be jumbled. So that's okay. I yeah. I can't blame you on it. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, no. It probably is 34 just because I watched two episodes a day and I just remember being very, very shocked. <laughs> Ah, okay. Yeah, I yes. can't blame you. Yeah, so it turns out that Infinity is she-phoned, which is like, what? Yeah, yeah. it was a shock to me too when I first watched it. I was like, yeah. what the? <laughs> and when she becomes Infinity, 
they like speak in a way that is like similar to the way that everyone at Labyrinth speaks. Oh yeah, it's like a broken lock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Broken no, not broken lock. Broken radio. <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying. Looping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it 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 is terrifying. Like to see you know such a cuddly little fairy, you know, very cute, very huggable, to suddenly becomes this abomination, <laughs> which which speaks on loop at a very deep voice tone, and I was. It, yeah, it, it was a shock. Yeah, so it's a lot. They do figure out that, you know, with the power of this item called the Clover Box, they are able to help Shifon by, like, playing this melody, which is like a lullaby that brings Shifon back to normal. Normal. Yeah, but it's like, okay. a, it becomes a regular problem where it's like, you know, when they're not looking, suddenly Shifon turns into infinity again. And it's it's funny because it's like thinking about the fact that, you know, these are all toys, of course. And so yeah. Shifon is a toy, but also like the Clover Box is a toy. <laughs> so it's like, buy yeah. the Clover Box or else the cute little baby is going to become evil. It's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 yeah, no, yeah, I do wonder how how toy advertised that because, you know, without context, that's going to sound boring. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, this... this this monster is going to turn evil. What are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, without context, it's just going to be like, a big um, basically. What are we going to do here? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yes, I yes. Don't know how, I don't know how to convey it, but that's the best I can come up with. Yeah. <laughs> Despite that, they are able to use the Clover Box and Shifun's power to get a new attack at the yeah. end of uh, episode 37 so that's really exciting and also important because we get a new villain as well Norza who is very interesting because she brings us a new dynamic yeah a new dynamic a new uh, monster as well so oh true yeah a lot of interesting stuff going on there and yeah so I do want to mention, like, before we continue, because we're getting closer to the finale and stuff, I did mention it before, but I want to get into detail about the transformations. So, yeah, the transformations for Fresh Precure are really great. So, like, I think I've mentioned this in past episodes about Precure. Like, the very first transformations are very static in terms of how the girls interact within the transformation. Yeah. And then with a Yes and then Yes Precure 5 Go Go, we switched from like a kind of passive transformation to a slightly more active transformation. But this season yes. was very active and it was really awesome. So like, yeah, you know, they each have the same kind of like catchphrase at the beginning, but basically they each in a different way move very liberally throughout in like the kind of weird space that is the transformation yeah. sequence area. They do have their own set of movements within the sequence which yes yes yeah it's i do very like it <laughs> it's you know the first time i watched it, it was like oh wow yeah <laughs> this is so unique like mm-hmm. i haven't had any other precure watch experience at the time and there were magical girl shows that i had to watch just like Sailor moon wings which mm-hmm. which you know the transformation sequences wasn't as fluid as mm-hmm. fresh turned out to be so when i first saw it, it was like oh my god this is amazing. Yeah, I was trying to think about like in terms of active transformation sequences, there weren't a lot of like very super active ones. Like Tokyo Mimi kind of does it a little bit, but never to this degree. Like I would say the Tokyo Mimi ones are similar to Yes Precure Five Go Go in terms of the level of activeness. But I feel like 
especially, you know, considering fresh in general and like Precure from this point forward, like really, really definitely gives us a new dimension to what to expect from a transformation sequence. And of course, even that is like evolving more and more. But I feel like the way that a lot of transformation sequences are now is definitely thanks to what happened with fresh. Yeah. Yes. And there's also another thing that we can discuss later on about something that fresh originated that will impact the rest of the franchise. <laughs> yeah. Just for anyone who hasn't seen the transformation. So when Love becomes Cure Peach, she's like running. For Mickey becoming Cure Berry, she's like ice skating. Or I should just say skating, maybe. But um, yeah. yeah. And then in the case of Buki, she's jumping. And then finally, when Cure Passion happens, which is like, again, so exciting because she's the first mid-season Cure and all of that. And everything about her is special. She like spins and dives into water and she's like swimming transforming which is like oh yeah like there really doesn't happen even within pre-cure like the closest is cure mermaid kind of but she's not actually in water so it's yeah. uh, it's interesting yeah they went all out with the moves definitely with fresh yeah so it's definitely like i feel like in terms of not just for pre-cure but with magical girls in general fresh pre-cure really set a new standard for transformation sequences yeah <laughs> They really do, you know. They they change the game for transformation sequences, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, especially with what we see in later seasons of Great Year. Yeah, so let's get into, I guess, more uh, getting towards the finale. So as we get closer, like we said, you know, with Chiffon potentially becoming Infinity at any moment, keeping the Clover Box becomes very important, which causes trouble yep. in uh, episode 38, which I know you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I do want to talk about that. That's that's a really great Mickey episode. Mm. So in that episode, Mickey was trying to cut Chiffon because I think it w- Love was ill or something like that. But through one way or another, she ended up losing the Clover Box. And predictably, Chiffon starts to turn to infinity mode and mm-hmm. things when tricky so to speak yeah definitely so it's just like very uh <laughs> it's very scary Tense. yeah because like we don't know what's going to happen but every time that Shifun becomes infinity you know there's like a little alert going off with labyrinth so whichever villain is there usually wester but it could be some of the others are like, oh, it's time to go after, you know, we got to find Infinity. Infinity. So it is just like very uh, um, heart pounding, I should say. Yeah. 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 But pounding indeed. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, in the end, of course, they're able to get the clever box and all of that. So that works out. But it is, uh, yeah, it is definitely scary. Then we have an episode in Okinawa, which is like, sure, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 37 was that oh yeah i didn't thought about it but yeah that was a good episode <laughs> yeah that's good episode. Mm-hmm. one thing i love about that episode is how there's a scene at the park you know after the monster appeared you know Sina was trying to tell the weekend still staying at clover town about mm-hmm. the situation so mickey and bookie were just strolling at the park you know answering Cessna's door chatting oh hey how are you doing Things like that, and just as they walk off screen, sets in a teleport back to Clover Town, yeah. and confronts them, to confronts the two of them, and she was like, There's an emergency, we need to go. <laughs> that was hilarious to see. Yeah. And that wasn't all. <laughs> because 
later on, as they teleport themselves back to Okinawa, <laughs> they landed on Vesta. Yes, that's true. I almost and forgot about that. The, the best thing about it, they decide to transfer while still standing on Vesta. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my god, that's... Yeah, that's big breaking comedy right there. Yeah, yeah. Even then, you know, after they transferred, they still kept their transformation full. So it's not like, oh, they just transferred in real time. They still stay standing around like normal. They kept their poses. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and that was that was a treat to watch. <laughs> yes, yes. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah, so then we get to, I know you wanted to talk about episode 40, 40. which is very interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is definitely like very dark territory for Precure also. Indeed. So uh, Love's mother, who I do have to uh, mention, is also named Ayumi. She gets uh, kidnapped through a mirror by like a kind of duplicate of her. And then we have this kind of shadow version of her that comes back to take care of Setsuna and Love. And when Setsuna suspects something is wrong, she starts to kind of put Love against her and all that. It's very scary. I think definitely would be terrifying yeah. for, for anyone watching to imagine, like, what if your mom was not your mom? Oh, yeah. That was that was scary indeed. Yeah. So uh, what was it about this episode you wanted to uh, bring up? Yeah, I guess it's it's the tension, you know, of seeing, you know, Love's mom being swapped with a comic monster version of herself and, you know, mm-hmm. seeing her acting all weird and that and... Because slowly trying to figure out if they're real or not. Hmm. It's nerve-wracking and overall stressful. But but eventually they was able to do it. It made for some extremely tense watching. Mm -hmm. Which Mm -hmm. is, I guess, abnormal in Precure. But it's always good to have one of those tense moments. Yeah, it's definitely really uh, intense but very good. Yeah, it's, it's a very good episode. And by the end of the episode, it really confirms for Setsuna, especially, that she is now part of the Momozono household. Like, she is a member of the family. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So now I do want to talk about the finale, but there's just... The finale is very long. Yeah, it's, it's one of the longest that I can remember. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's kind of a lot of different things that like escalate because um, one of the things about the Nakewa Meike in the, like, from the beginning is that they are literally collecting like the physical embodiment of unhappiness. And it is like a constant throughout the series where you see this literal gauge of this creepy yellow liquid like building up throughout the series and by the end it is totally full and that's what uh, Norda has been using for her monsters yeah so they're going after that and it is during that that Shifon gets abducted as Infinity and that kind of starts to cause everything and it's very interesting because we do technically have a Christmas episode for this season but like it's barely a Christmas episode because the bad stuff is already happening I would say in a yeah. typical Precure season the Christmas episode is like the start of the end of things because yeah. it's like the last month of Precure. But yeah, in this case, it's like it's already getting bad. But that ends up being when they decide to all reveal to everyone because at this point only like Miyuki and maybe Kaoru knew. But they decide to just tell everyone, hey, we are Precure and we have to go. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's just like a lot of stuff that happens. But what do you want to talk about regarding the, the finale? First of all, I want to talk what about the, the episode which just mine because I find it very nice that, you know, the girls took the time to reveal their identity to their loved ones. And even though there's understandable conflicts, just, you know, the shock of people realizing that, wait, they're superheroes in secret? But what about their daily stuff? What are we going to do? And it does feel, you know, tense to see them not accepting the girls' request to make that trip for their final battle at first, but you know, seeing them eventually come around to accept it and allow them to go, it's so nice to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, by the end, they actually have gotten the kind of permission from their families to go on, which is good because things are getting very serious. Because now that Labyrinth has Infinity or Chiffon, mm-hmm. they're able to use that power to take over with like these literal cables like all these other parallel worlds until finally everything is all under uh, Mobius and it is kind of scary and it's really interesting because it's not necessarily so clear the beginning of the series or even when you're looking at the villains but like Labyrinth is very much this kind of like computerized world it really reminds me of the Matrix but also Tron especially by the very end Oh, yeah. yeah. I can understand the comparison with Tron. Yeah, so, you know, there's just, like, all these different escalations throughout. So Passion and Barry end up fighting both the Sowler and Wester, who then get swallowed up, and you think that they die, which is like, whoa, <laughs> okay. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the next episode, like, basically the only place that hasn't been completely taken over by Mobius is, ironically, Labyrinth. And we also know that Tart is around, and... um. Also, the sole survivor of the Sweets Kingdom is uh, Atsukina, who is Tart's fiance, who is very cute, <laughs> but yeah. barely appears in the series. I kind of wish she was around a little more, but Same. she's there in the at least for the ending. She and Tart have some good dynamic. Uh, I also w- w- wish we see more. Yes, yes. Like, why couldn't she be around? But yeah. So, in episode 47, Labyrinth gets changed by Tart and Atsukina's. Well, they're donuts, <laughs> which is very interesting. Yes. They're generally talking to, like, random children in Labyrinth at first, because, like, the way that Labyrinth is beforehand is, like, this world where everyone is all just kind of clearly... They're very robotic, right? Like, they're all, like, yeah. doing things as they're being they're instructed. F- as if they are AI, see yeah. yeah, yeah. Even though they are humans. Mm-hmm. Which isn't right. You yes. Know, humans should have the their sense of freedom, not, you know, sense of, I have to do X on A, Mm -hmm. Y on B, things like that. Right, right. Yeah, so luckily Tart has all the donuts in the world, apparently, because he starts giving them out to people, and they're like, wow, this is so delicious, and this, like, kind of sense of, like, thinking, oh, wait, you can enjoy food, this is delicious, delicious is a thing that's awesome. And uh, that's able to help people to kind of snap out of it and so on. So that's pretty great. And it is. It's here on the girls because uh, at this point we also see that the final villains that are left are Norza and also Klein, who we haven't talked about, but he's like this older guy who's very much in the tech world. He's got all these keyboards and screens and stuff. Isn't Klein there from the start? I forgot. I think he, he is. He appears from the start. pretty early on. Like while Setsuna is still east, he does appear a few times to give directions and stuff. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I know he appeared early, but he 
didn't really get active until that final arc. Which I guess it might sense because mm-hmm. he was a tech guy. Like tech guys aren't normally supposed to be at the front line of things. Yes, yes. Unless it gets really desperate. Sure, and then also just the fact that he stays in Labyrinth. He doesn't ever leave to go to Earth like the others. So yeah, yeah. So in the final attempts to not accept defeat, it's very shocking that like Northa and Klein end up fusing together like Dragon Ball and. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, they create this, like, extra monster that the girls have to fight off. And at first, it seems very difficult to fight them. But with the power of everyone at Lambeth cheering them on, they're able to get a new power. And that's why in the end of episode 48, they're finally able to transform again. And they all become Cure Angel, Angel. which is very interesting. Very interesting, yep. This is the last time that we have, like, a new name for, like, a, a form in Precure. Because usually you stick something on before the name of the cure or something. But this is... Oh, true. Yeah, this is, like, a whole they, new they name. They do place it in between the cure names instead of before mm-hmm. the cure names. Just, you know, with future, you know, final forms, as I like to call it, final forms. Mm-hmm. They don't usually get, have their cure designation name change. Yes. Of course, the the formulas have had a name, but mm-hmm. within themselves, they are still called their cure names. Yes. As they are at the start. So yeah, so we now see that they have become cure angel, and they have you know this motif on them. Like I mentioned, the four hearts that make a clover, but now there is a fifth heart that is white, and they say the white heart is the heart of everyone, which is really nice. It is. Again, reflecting the audience of Precure as well, but of course representing the people of Labyrinth who are cheering them on and giving them their their strength. Correct. And it's through that that they're able to, in episode 49, they very easily defeat this uh, fused villain. Abomination between Morata and Klein. Mm -hmm. And also, it's a little if I were to sidetrack this a bit, but, you know, about these angel forms, one thing that I just (laughs) can't get over with is so this angel form, the girls gain a set of wings on their back. Yes. And I don't know why, but Barry got this like very airplane looking yes. wings while the others got, you know, the more natural wings. Yes. <laughs> Which I don't really understand why Barry got that. It is an odd choice <laughs> for sure. I'm not sure why, but it is there. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what specific reason there would be within the canon for that, but I could not come up with anything. But it's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I don't why think not? it was explained at all, <laughs> even by the staff. I don't yeah. remember seeing a staff explaining, mm-hmm. oh, why is Perry's wing is very much mechanical shape rather than natural shape. Yes, yes. But yeah, so they're able to, you know, defeat the monster and they go off to fight the last battle with Mobius who turns out to be not what they expected. So this is a surprise even to the others there. And I should probably mention at this point, you know, that uh, Sowler and Wester are back. They were reborn thanks to a mysterious helper. (laughs) So now their costume is all white and they're able to create a good monster, which is really funny. (laughs) But it's also amazing. Like, it's unique that fresh had the set of cute monsters that they can use, even though if, if it's at the end, because mm-hmm. we don't see cute monsters in Break Here. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure no other season has attempted to replicate that. Mm, yeah, I don't think so. It's a rarity for the type of hero 
magical girl stuff to actually have heroic monsters. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but we had a, a figure we could see Mobius, but it turned out that once like Pure Passion attacked That's him with her happiness hurricane, he turned out to be a robot. And it turned out that actually Mobius is an AI and he's a giant computer that has been controlling Labyrinth and he was created by humans. And it's just like very, it's very intense. Yes, it is intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so then their final battle is like with this AI and they're in the heart of the computer and it's suddenly, again, very Matrix. <laughs> it's very yeah. interesting. It is very interesting. And Mobius also tried to copycat their forms. Yes. Which makes things even trickier mm -hmm. for the cures to battle on. Yeah, so we see like these kind of evil versions of their civilian forms and stuff. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. But they do finally at the end, in episode 50, they're able to defeat Mobius and um, save Chiffon and uh, escape the supercomputer, which was self-destructing. And then, you know, the people of Labyrinth are now free again. So everything's all great there. And the cures go back to Earth and everything is okay. It turns out, you know, for the, the kind of ending, unfortunately, Setsuna does need to go back to Labyrinth yeah. to help restore her shame. world. But, you know, there's this sense that, like, you know, she could come back and it's it's going to be okay. But, you know, for now, the evil is defeated. But, yeah. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say about the finale or about Fresh in general? Oh, I don't really think I have. Hmm. Just, you have covered the points very well. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait, I, I just had a thought about this. Maybe the finale, you know, was a bit short, you know. I do wish that we had, like, a full episode of Epilogue, like we see in the more recent seasons. But, mm -hmm. of course, it was more recent seasons. It was more of a new thing for Breaker to have a full-on Epilogue episode. Back then, we don't really have Epilogue episodes yet, so... Yeah. It made sense mm -hmm. why they do it, but I I do wish, you know, after seeing future seasons, that they do more to explain what happened with the aftermath of, of Labyrinth Inflation and such. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, especially considering that it is a 50-episode season, these days you might expect, oh, for sure, we would have a full epilogue, like, see them as adults and so on. Um, but we yeah. don't get that in this season, which is yeah. unfortunate, but I think that but... they, they took advantage of the long episode count in other ways, so... Yeah. Yeah. True. Mm -hmm. They do use the episode very well, too, you know, with the world building, especially. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. what I said, you know, much earlier in this podcast, you know, they made a very good stories to explain from the people within Clover Town, you know, to make us feel connected to the place mm -hmm. better. Yeah, so before we go, I do want to talk about like problematic parts of the series. So all in all, it's mostly really good. Like for me, I feel like this is, you know, very enjoyable for most people. It does get dark. We didn't mention this before, but like when East becomes Cure Passion, she does die temporarily. Yes. Which she is did. a little intense. <laughs> but and it's very yeah. heart wrenching to see. Yes, yes. I don't know Saying, you know, mm -hmm. loves, you know, trying to wake up the dead east. Yes. You know, it's just saying, seeing the girl, the, the, Mickey and Bookie mm -hmm. cry 
at uh, what is essentially Setsuna's corpse. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, it is a lot. Also, just regarding the character design of Is in particular. So, like, you know, as you mentioned, the, the character design is, for all the characters, are a little, like, older and more mature than we would usually expect from Precure. Yes. And, you know, a common, like, issue with not just Precure, but with magical girl shows for kids in general is the kind of sexy villain girls. Oh, yeah. yeah, so Issa's costume for me, I was a little surprised by, like, actually looking at it more carefully. Like, it is kind of sexy considering that she ends up becoming a precure. Oh, yeah. Like, the kind of standards for what is acceptable for precure, like, as far as, like, parent complaints and stuff, do change over time because, like, as you know, the very beginning of as precure. Time went on, yeah. You know, moral things, you know, change mm-hmm. as we are seeing in recent years. But yeah. uh, about, you know, East design, it is a bit of on the more fan services side of things, but for me, I don't really find such trouble, but I guess that's because before I w- started to become a Magic Hero fan, I watched Tokusatsu a lot. And sure. Tokusatsu villains also have a lot of fan service fil- female villain designs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe I was a bit used with that. Sure, sure. Yeah, it is something that like, it's an old thing and it definitely does kind of stem from tokusatsu, but is also just like now a trope within Magical Girl series. I do think that it is like important to point out, especially if you compare Issa's design to Cure Passion's design, where she's like wearing like black tights and stuff. So she's like completely covered, like the most covered a pre-gear has ever been. Yes. It's like kind of sending a bad message in a few different ways, so it is a, a, a complicated thing. And I can't understand that. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit more is the character of Daisuke. Sure. So I don't think that a character like Daisuke existing in general is bad. Like he is a character who goes to Love's school. He has a crush on Love that we see from the beginning. And that part is fine. Yeah, he also like butts heads with her a lot. Like they get into a lot of different fights and it's like clear this like he has difficulty communicating his feelings in general and this causes problems. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I did want to point out, I guess it's a, technically a small detail, but they go to Okinawa and when they go, you know, Daisuke reveals that he is from Okinawa. But this game is a big surprise to me. So in terms of like if people indigenous to Okinawa, the Luchuans, they're very uh, underrepresented. Yeah. In Japanese media. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really see a lot of Okinawa stuff. Yeah. And also, a bit of a correction, you know, I just realized this. You know how earlier in the episode I said that this Okinawa episode is episode 37? I was wrong. I was remembering the wrong episode number. I'm pretty sure that was 39. Yes, it is 39. <laughs> yeah, just minor us, but I just want like, to <laughs> point that out before, you know, in case anyone watching here wants to correct me on that. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's social media. Chances are it might happen. It could happen, but yeah. So yes, it is episode 39. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, I just, I just had to tell him, I was like, wait, that's not 37. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, we can talk about yeah. Desuke. In terms of like Okinawa motifs and so on, in terms of media, like, you know, Okinawa is kind of seen as like a place that you can go for like a vacation and so on with you know Tourism. that's obviously what's happening here but as far as like the people it's a different story so i think that you know if daisuke is like they say he's from okinawa they don't say whether or not he is luchuan specifically but if he had been that would have been really interesting representation considering that miyuki is his sister 
So that would make her Okinawan as well, or uh, Lutuan. Yeah. So the fact that this comes up like at the near end of the series and could have been like a really great opportunity for some representation in the series, it is kind of disappointing. So it is, yeah. But yeah, sometimes uh, representation can be tricky, especially back on those years. You know, those years were opportunities for representation. I'd say was less than what it is now so in some way i can't blame them but in hindsight it can go differently yeah they could have taken a different approach with that it is disappointing i do feel like it needs to be brought up but yeah yeah but you know otherwise i think that in general it's very good it's a very good season oh yeah i would like to bring oh yes it's more of a small problem for myself but the first opening song of fresh Fresh had two opening songs. Mm-hmm. There's the first one that was sung by the original singer. From what I have known about her, she's a rookie to the singing scene, so I guess it made sense that you know the voice wasn't good, but I don't know. The first opening song was charmingly odd with its tone. And like, it is true that she is a rookie, which I can't blame her, you know, being a rookie and got her first opening at such a big show like pretty you know it must be you know full of pressure but Kanako Miyamoto who has tossed a, a great carrot part with Brickier is also a rookie back at yes Brickier 5 but she sounded like a pro with her singing even back then so yeah I don't know it's it's more of a minor problem but the f- singing mm-hmm. of the first OP wasn't really the best yeah yeah it's unfortunate but yeah yeah so i mean i don't mind it but i can understand that it's not for everyone true true i guess openings for pre-care particular it can be really tricky for um what's it called the just like in terms of like who they're appealing to right because they want kids to enjoy it they want it to be a song that kids can sing you know so yeah true yeah (laughs) yeah but that being said you know I understand if it's not for you, that's fine. It's totally respectable. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that's all I think we have to talk about. So with that, that means we're down to our final question. Riza, do you have a magical persona for yourself? No. <laughs> Even though I'm an artist, I hadn't given a thought about making a magical persona of myself. Hmm. I have been thinking of making persona of myself, but it was for the other thing that I love the most, which is Motorsport. Oh. I grew up in motorsport a lot since since a kid. Like, it, I grew up in you know, a I was a kid. I watched NASCAR on TV, and to this day I still watch NASCAR. But yeah, uh, MotoGP is also very massive. And at the week of our recording, we will have our first Indonesian Grand Prix in 25 years, and people are going crazy about it <laughs> because MotoGP is. That sounds big exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 25 years. You know. MotoGP is big popularity. There is some problems behind the scenes within, you know, the organizing, which I guess it made sense. You know, it's a first time hosting after such a long time. Mm-hmm. New venue, new things. I've other things that you know. Sure. I don't know if I can say this because Indonesian fans can be a bit rapid, but <laughs> yeah, it's nonetheless still you know exciting opportunity for us motorsport fans in Indonesia to have such a world class motorsport category to come visit us after so long mm-hmm. yeah that sounds good uh back to the persona thing <laughs> i can run or talk about motorsport all day long but 
I'm afraid that this is not really the place to do so. So, <laughs> in terms of material persona, no, not yet. Maybe one day I will think of one hmm. and draw one. Given that you know, I have I don't really want to brag much about artistic capabilities, but uh, yeah, but I can draw one. It's just going to need you know some thought about it first, like mm-hmm. which type of design would fit me best, sure, etc. etc. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you so much to you too for, you know, yeah, <laughs> for inviting me to become part of this podcast. Mm-hmm. So where can people find you and follow you online to talk about Fresh Precure and other magical girls? Oh, uh, if you want to find me, I'm very active on Twitter at my handle address of Malana98. And then, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I also have, you know, active art accounts on DeviantArtPix with the same username, WrestleMalana98. Back to the motorsport a little. I also, you know, do some writing for, you know, the work of your NASCAR website, which right now, unfortunately, it is on uh, hiatus because my art workload has been a lot recently, but I've been working on Overhaul's for the website and, you know, I'm hoping I can launch the website again very soon great great well uh links to all that will be in the show notes so yeah thank you again okay. for coming on and i hope you have a good rest of your day and i hope you also have a good day as well yes <laughs> great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you like it. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag SparkleSideChats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayushinos, A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Let us know if there's a topic you uncovered or a fan or creator you want to hear from by filling out the form in the show notes. You can also join the Discord for this podcast to talk about Magical Girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. Show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. If you can support the podcast financially, you can buy me a coffee at co-fee.com slash ayushinos or become a member to receive two bonus episodes a month for just $5 and access behind-the-scenes info. At higher levels, you can get additional perks. You can also buy a commission or print on my imprint page. Another way to support the podcast one time is by buying something off the Amazon Japan wishlist. This helps with getting more access to Magical Girl content that we can discuss in future episodes. Feel free to purchase from the use section as we are not picky here. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at A Few Bruises. Thanks again for listening and remember, you are magical.